0: The Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals presents the timeless teaching of Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse.
1: At times there are scoffers who say, All the hell we ever have is here on this earth. I always answer them, That is absolutely true for me, but absolutely false for you. When they inquire my meaning, I tell them that the Lord Jesus Christ took my hell and the hell of everyone who puts full trust in his atoning work. God can never demand payment twice. And having received it from the hand of my Savior, he cannot, in righteousness, demand it from me also.
0: The message we will be featuring on today's edition of Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible is entitled Heaven Here and Now. Back in 1978, one of that year's most popular movies was entitled Heaven Can Wait. But do you realize that believers do not have to wait for heaven? We can experience a foretaste of heaven in this life by virtue of our identification with Christ in His ascension. This makes us yearn even more for the fullness of everlasting bliss and glory that awaits all who believe in Jesus. Have you captured a glorious glimpse of what is yet to come for the people of God? The scripture text for this edition of Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible, Romans chapter 6 and verse 3. Here again is Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse with a message entitled, Heaven, Here and Now.
1: Through the Lord Jesus Christ, we come unto thee, our Father and our God, and in the Holy Spirit. We thank thee for thy great grace and faithfulness to us in Christ. Bless the truth to each listening heart in this hour, and refresh us by the lifting of the Lord Jesus Christ before our eyes, that we may see him afresh, and know that all our life is from him, and to be lived through him unto thee. We ask it in the name and for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We are studying in the 6th chapter of Romans and verse 3. Baptized into Jesus Christ. If I were giving a title to the message today, I would call it Heaven, Here and Now. When we were placed in Christ by the identifying work of the Holy Spirit, we were baptized into the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thus it is that we who are believers have our heaven already. All of Christianity can be summarized in three sentences. I deserved hell, Jesus Christ took my hell, there is nothing left for me but his heaven. Yet in faithfulness, I always tell the unbeliever that while all my hell is past and gone forever, it is his heaven which is fast slipping from him. For all the heaven he will ever have is here upon this earth. This world of wars and atom bombs, this world of horror camps and exploitations, this world of high taxes and high prices, is all the heaven the unsaved man will ever know. He may answer that he finds his heaven in the misty clouds, rising from the lake at dawn, to caress the green brow of the mountain, that he finds his heaven in the laughter of his child, in a good book in an easy chair, beside the logs of the library fire, and in a thousand other like things. But the clouds shall disappear before the great darkness, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat the child shall grow old, wither, and die. The easy chair shall be empty, and the book shall lie on the floor where it has fallen from the reader's hand as he falls into his last earthly sleep, and all of his heaven shall be gone forever. But though the heaven of the believer is the future, and all the hell the true child of God knows is here upon this earth, yet there is heaven here and now for us. We enjoy the things of earth, far more than any unsaved man can ever enjoy them, comparing natural capacity with natural capacity. We have a hymn in which we sing, Heaven above is softer blue, Earth around is sweeter green, Something lives in every hue Christless eyes have never seen, Birds with gladder songs o'erflow, Flowers with deeper beauties shine, Since I know, as now I know, I am his, and he is mine. But our present heaven is something far more real and rich than this. We have access to the highest heaven, and we have that access now. We have been made accepted in the Beloved. When God the Father raised Christ to his own right hand in the heavenlies, far above all principalities and power and might and dominion, he raised us up together with him. There is a point at the close of the first chapter of Ephesians and the opening of the second chapter, which must be understood in order to illustrate the truth of our union with Christ in his ascension. Almost every commentator who has approached Ephesians has noted the fact that there is no verb in the opening sentence of chapter 2. The phrase hangs loosely, and you, who were dead in trespasses and sins, and seems to trail off inconclusively. It may be that some missionary has found a language that can get along without verbs, but the Greek and the English cannot. The King James translators added, as we can see from the words in italic type, added the subject and the predicate for the sentence, hath he quickened? And thus it reads, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. Now this is surely a truth and a great truth, but I believe that very much is lost by the addition of these words. There is a way of reading the sentence with the words stricken out which will bring a wonderful light upon the truth which is before us. In order to understand what I'm about to point out, it's necessary to remind ourselves that Paul was very fond of using long parentheses in his epistles. The translators have been correct when they have put between parentheses five different long passages in the epistle to the Romans, three of them a full verse, one of three verses and one of five verses. And though no parenthesis is used by the translators, it is well known that three entire chapters of Romans, chapters 9, 10, and 11, should be read as a parenthesis between chapter 8 and chapter 12, and we shall thus teach it when we come to that section. In the brief epistle to the Ephesians, five verses are printed between parentheses. but let us apply that principle at the junction of the first two chapters, remembering that the chapter divisions are not a part of the Bible originally but are a technical device to aid us in finding our way through the scriptures. In the close of the first chapter, we read of the tremendous power which God manifested in raising the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. The vocabulary of the original language is ransacked to find terms to express the exceeding greatness of God's power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. That's the 19th and the 20th verses. And then the apostle digresses and describes what happened to Christ when the Father raised him from the dead and completes the chapter in three and a half verses describing Christ in the highest heaven, enthroned with the Father and head of the church. Now reading it this way, half the force of verse 19 is lost. For here is the declaration of a manifestation of power toward us without description of a power which is directly related to us. And half of the force of the opening verse of chapter 2 is lost because it speaks of the quickening of the believer without relating it directly to the resurrection of Christ. But let us cast a parenthesis around the last three verses of the chapter, then see what we have. Paul prayed that the church might know what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in trespasses and sins. Wonderful. Easter day was my resurrection also. When Christ died, I died. When Christ was buried, I was buried. When Christ was raised, I was raised. And we continue in this chapter to find that when Christ ascended into heaven by the power of the Father, I was raised from earth to heaven with him. When the Father enthroned his Son far above all, there was also a seat prepared there for the bride, for you and for me. Then keep me not back from my rightful place. Make not of the church an exiled bride. Hold me not at the walls of partition which Christ has cast down. Stop me not at gates which Christ has unlocked. Do not stay my steps at a sea which he turns to crystal before me. Forbid me not to enter within the veil where my bridegroom has gone before me. Christ has died. So have I. Christ has risen, so have I. Christ has gone on high, so have we, for Christ has taken us with him. Believe it. Accept the boldness which he gives, and enter into the holiest of all, and take our rightful place. Heaven wants a triumphant bride now. And while it does not yet appear what we shall be, even now we are far short of that which God wants us to be. Let us now be where we would be. Let us now be what we should be. So many things which are not now really could be if we would take our seat upon the throne of heaven. I remember so well the day I first went to heaven. Don't misunderstand, I'm not going to talk to you of dreams or visions, but of the day I realized the truth that is set forth here. I was on shipboard, traveling alone. I had set myself to read the book of Ephesians a great many times, and suddenly, I saw the great truth I have been expounding to you in these paragraphs. My heart leaped in a joy that is wholly inexpressible. I saw the whole new and living way, from myself all the way to the throne of God, with the Lord Jesus Christ seated there, desiring me to join him by faith. It was like looking at a castle through a long lane of trees. Fortunately, I was almost alone on my section of the deck. I lifted my New Testament in a sharp gesture, as though it had been the hilt of the sword, which it really is. And with the whole of the Ephesian truth aflame before me, I I shouted. I shouted in utter silence, so far as human ears were concerned. But inwardly, it was a shout, Lord, I'm coming through. You know, I believe that shout aroused the forces of hell. I felt their angry, hateful stares. But I knew then, when I read the true meaning of that verse, that they were absolutely defeated. They had been overcome by the blood of the Lamb and were about to be overcome by the word of my testimony that I was completely joined to the risen, ascended, enthroned Lord. The principalities and powers have been defeated by the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, where he made a show of them openly, triumphing completely. Now they shall be defeated in the wrestling that he does through me. The darts of the evil one, fiery though they may be, are quenched against the armor which the risen Lord Jesus Christ provides for all who come to comprehend their present union with him in the identification of the Holy Spirit into his ascension and enthronement. Then it was that I cried, Lord, I am not sufficient for these things, and if the enemy brings out forces that are stronger than I and even the weakest of his minions are beyond my power. Deal thou with them. Even Michael the archangel called upon thee for help, putting the battle in thy hands for the overcoming of Satan. I must be nothing in myself and everything in Christ. And suddenly it seemed to me as though I were in the far above heavens, looking down on a ship, a tiny dot on a blue sea, and I knew that I was one of the specks on that ship but I knew that henceforth that ship and that ocean and that world were forevermore unimportant. I was in the heavenlies, joined by faith to my Lord. He was nearer than when I had seen him at the cross. The eternal life which he gave me when I was saved was now realized to be the life of eternity, which I was privileged to live in time. I had the right to spend the rest of my life seated in the heavenlies with Christ. If at any time my eyes should be removed from the heavenly promise and position, I could return to it by coming back through the new and living way into the holiest of all. Now, someone may fear that, as I turn to describe the believer's privilege heavenward, I'm about to tell of some vision. This was not a vision that I have been describing to you. This was no experience such as Paul knew when he was caught up into heaven. Every once in a while, someone will come to me after a meeting, generally a person who seems quite neurotic, to tell me of some uh, vision or uh, revelation which he has had. I always stop him and say, now, wait a minute, let's be scriptural. This is not the age of visions. But if the Lord has done something that would seem to be quite out of the scope of his present plan, and if you have had a vision which will stand the tests of scripture, I'm sure that you have heard unspeakable words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. So please don't try to utter them to me. No, I did not have a vision that day but faith entering into heavenly life, enthroned life, faith entering into all of the triumphs of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, into the complete work of Christ, faith joined to the glory of the risen Savior, joined to the ascended and enthroned Christ. Now the comprehension of these truths will come when we have properly understood the sixth verse of the second chapter of Ephesians. I had read the verse hundreds of times, and I had always failed absolutely to realize what it was teaching. I had followed in the rut, which has been graven by every commentator of the passage that I've ever read, but I'm now convinced that they have, all of them, been wrong. For the verse reads, He hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I had equated the first clause with the first verse in Colossians 3, which reads, If ye then be risen with Christ. And I had made it mean no more than our union with Christ in his resurrection. He hath raised us up together. Oh, surely you will say that does refer to resurrection. I would have agreed with you once. In fact, I would have agreed with you the first hundreds of times I ever read the verse. And then I saw that it meant something quite different. This verse is not speaking of our being raised from death to life with Christ, but it speaks of the ascension, of our being raised from earth to heaven with him. I want you to realize that you have probably heard hundreds of sermons on the subject of the crucifixion of Christ. You have possibly heard scores of sermons on the resurrection of our Lord, but how many sermons have you ever heard on the doctrine and the implication of the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ? I am sure that this text in Romans which announces our identification with our living head, the Lord Jesus, includes our baptism by the Holy Spirit into the ascension of Christ. And this text in Ephesians flatly proclaims it. You hath he quickened. There is resurrection. Perhaps it is obscured for us because the word has dropped out of our modern usage, except in a technical sense. You hath he made alive. That is the word. And not only did he make us alive in Christ but he hath raised us up together from earth to heaven and made us sit together in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. Write this in capital letters in your life. He hath quickened us from death to life. He hath raised us from earth to heaven. Both are in the past tense. In the sight of God, it's all a work that is done and completely done. We have been made new creatures in Christ Jesus and we were created for the throne of heaven. How are we to bridge the gap? The answer is that we must take it by faith, as we have taken every other step by faith. How do you know that your sins have been forgiven? God says so. Where is there any other evidence beyond his unsupported word? No more is needed. Where were your sins taken from you? They were removed as far as the east is from the west, and this was done at the cross of Jesus Christ when he bore our sins for us. But was not that over 1,900 years ago? Oh, yes. But is it possible for faith to annihilate the distance between the soul and Jerusalem? And is it possible for faith to annihilate the time between this 20th century and the first century? Every true child of God knows the glorious certainty of this annihilation of time and space. We, all of us, if we are believers in the Lord Jesus as Savior, have become accustomed to thinking of him and his death as present realities, present in time and present in space. In exactly the same way that we are accustomed to this annihilation of historical time and geographical space, we must become accustomed to the annihilation of future time and heavenly space. Let us repeat the same form of questioning which we've used about our salvation, this time applying it to our victorious union with the risen, ascended, enthroned Christ. How do you know that you have been raised to heaven and seated with Christ on his father's throne? The answer is that God says so. When will this come to pass effectually? The answer is that we shall know this ascension and enthronement actually at the return of the Lord for his people. But is not that at some unknown time in the future? Yes, it is. But faith annihilates time and the throne becomes a present reality. But is not heaven very far from us? By our distances, yes. But faith annihilates distance. Where is heaven? It might be well at this point to open a parenthesis in our teaching in order to answer a question that might arise about the location and reality of heaven. There are those who scoff at the idea of a material heaven in space. They laugh superciliously because of their supposed knowledge of astronomical facts and disdainfully deny that there could be a literal heaven. Julian Huxley stated it in a British broadcast. The diameter of that part of space, visible with the new 200-inch telescope, he wrote, is nearly a thousand million light years. And there is a celestial region of unknown size beyond the range of any telescope that we may ever be able to construct. There are over a hundred million visible galaxies, and each of these contains anything from a hundred to ten thousand million stars. And then after explaining the chemical organization of this vast universe of inorganic matter, Huxley says, in the tiny fraction that has turned into planetary systems, the level of organization is higher, but only a little higher. Nowhere in all its vast extent is there any trace of purpose, or even of prospective significance. It is impelled from behind by blind physical forces, a gigantic and chaotic jazz dance of particles and radiations, in which the only overall tendency we have so far been able to detect is that summarized in the second law of thermodynamics, the tendency to run down. And Mr. Huxley then has the amazing audacity to compare organic life with this purposeless universe which he finds, and discovering that purpose has arisen in organic life out of this blind chance. He says, in a way most important, purpose has now entered the process of transformation itself. Both the mechanism of psychosocial evolution and its products have a truly purposeful component, and evolution in this sector is pulled on consciously from in front as well as being impelled blindly from behind. Now, Mr. Huxley, along with all non-Christians, is taking a most unscientific attitude. He is refusing to consider evidence that does not fit his theories. Well... They twist the facts of nature, unbelievers do, because they suppress facts. And all those in the school of Mr. Huxley both twist and have suppressed the facts of revelation. What are they going to do with the historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? That is a fact with more evidence behind it than there is for Caesar's campaigns in Gaul or Alexander the Great's doings in Asia. There is a fact, a tangible fact. For the body of Jesus Christ was touched and handled by competent witnesses. We read in Luke 24, Handle me and see, a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me to have. This is a fact, the material body of Jesus Christ. When we have accepted this great fact of the resurrection, there follows a stunning question. Where is the body that rose from the dead? It was a material body. It could be touched and was touched. Jesus Christ ate broiled fish with his disciples and honey. Where is that body which he then had? The answer, again on the evidence of eyewitnesses and attested by supernatural results in the lives of millions of people, is that he ascended into heaven. If he took a body which could have been weighed on the scales, a body which was a material, tangible, spatial body, and by the power of his deity raised that body out of this earth, then he must have raised it to some place, to a place. And that's why we write heaven with a capital initial. Heaven is a place where the literal body of Christ is to be found today. True, it's far away by our measurement of distances, but Christ could travel all distance with the speed of thought, for he is the creator, and he's above all things, and by him all things consist. Now in that historical fact, of the ascension of Jesus Christ is our hope and trust based on the revelation of our union with him in the victories implied in that triumph. We have been identified with him in his ascension and therein lies our present power to overcome. And our God and Father, we pray thee that thou shall give to each of thy children this day knowledge of their power to overcome sin, to overcome the enemy, to overcome the frustrations of life, to overcome the little things that lead to impatience and envy and jealousy, to overcome these things and to live great resurrection lives, enthroned lives, triumphant lives, with thyself at our hand, with thyself in our hearts, with thy power available and thy love manifested through us. Take this word to each heart in this hour, we ask in the name and for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.
0: God has made us alive in Jesus and seated us with Him in the heavenly places. When you truly understand your position in Christ, you can begin to fully appreciate the riches of God's grace. We hope you have benefited from today's message by Dr. Barnhouse entitled, Heaven, Here, and Now. You can listen to additional Bible teaching by the late Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse anytime, anywhere around the globe via the internet by visiting the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals website at Alliancenet.org. An audio copy of today's teaching is available by calling us toll-free, 1-800-488-1888. Today's message again is entitled, Heaven, Here and Now, or simply request message number R6-14. We would also like to make available to you a free copy of our booklet entitled, How the Holy Spirit Relates to You. For many Christians, the Holy Spirit remains the most mysterious and misunderstood member of the Trinity. Controversial and contradictory teachings about His person and work further cloud the issue. This free booklet cuts through the confusion with clear biblical truth. You will take a significant leap towards spiritual maturity when you understand who the Holy Spirit is and how He works in the life of a believer. Ask for your free copy of how the Holy Spirit relates to you when you call or write. Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible is a radio ministry of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals headquartered in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We exist to promote a biblical understanding and worldview. Drawing upon the insight and wisdom of Reformation theologians from decades and even centuries gone by, we seek to provide contemporary Christian teaching materials which will equip believers to understand and meet the challenges and opportunities of our time and place. Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible comes to you through the generous gifts of our listeners. If you have benefited from the broadcast and would like it to continue, please prayerfully consider a donation to help us keep this ministry on the air. For more information or to make a contribution to support and further our work, Please contact us by writing Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, Box 2000, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, 19103. Call toll-free 1-800-488-1888 or visit us online at AllianceNet.org.